For nine weeks now, we have been in a series, and we have titled it Finding God's Heart in the Stories of Moses, and this is the very end of that series. We have been in the second book of the Bible in Exodus. We are in the very last chapter. And if you see this map up here that we're going to put up, um, you will see that it began, the story began in Exodus with God's people enslaved, uh, being treated cruelly, and they were taken out, and they uh, basically uh, would down. We'll go back to the map for just a minute, Leslie. You see all the way down in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula, that is where Mount Sinai is, where they received the Ten Commandments. And it's way out of the way because where they're going is to the far top right. That is the promised land. So this story has been very, very dramatic um, with God parting the Red Sea to uh, victoriously lead the people out of slavery. It's like coming out of death into new life and then taking them to this mountaintop experience of receiving not just the Ten Commandments, but God's words of invitation and life to be in relationship with God and in a very life-giving relationship with one another. And now out of that, we're going all the way to the end of the story, and we're going to be concluding with these instructions, very detailed instructions, about the tabernacle. Now, I, you're going to hear this passage in just a moment, and you're going to say, Mary, you're killing me. Why are you reading all this detail? It is so long. It is so horrible. Uh, but there's a reason for that, and there's a reason that it takes up 10 chapters um, basically in the book of Exodus, and that is because God is setting the stage for all that is to come, which is 39 more years of being in the wilderness. We're only one year into their 40 years of wandering and wandering and wandering and making it to the promised land. So God is setting the stage, and setting the stage by helping us know God's heart, God's heart, which is moving from being this mighty worker, mighty presence on the mountain, to being the God who is with us. I remember hearing years ago some advice given to parents as they anticipate what can be for many parents and for many teenagers a very hellish season of life, and that before you get to these years with your adolescence, that it's a wise thing to sit down ahead of time and actually talk through what you can expect in that season. So when, you're, when your son or daughter is about nine years old, um, the advice was sit down and talk through all these changes and all these challenges that are going to come. Changes in your body, changes in the way you make decisions, changes in the way you relate to your parents, that that could be a very helpful thing. Setting the stage preparing in advance for what is to come. That didn't happen in my family. This pretty much describes the way my dad was with us, all seven of us. I think it would have been a helpful thing if they'd sat down ahead of time and said, you know, this is kind of what you can anticipate, just setting the stage for these really tumultuous years, which can feel like a wilderness for students and for parents. But the truth is, my parents were parenting teenagers in the 60s. And that was a crazy time. There was no roadmap for that. My mom hated those years. She doesn't even like to look at pictures or didn't of those years. Because they needed, they needed what God gives us in Exodus, which is basically setting the stage for that wilderness experience, these unknown challenges that come our way when we don't have any roadmap and we don't know what's going on. And we don't know how long it's going to last. And we don't know how we're going to make our way through. 
So that's basically what's being given to us in this Exodus 40 at the end in the tabernacle. It's not the way we would describe it, but it is God's way of saying in a way that they could understand, I am in your midst. And so as you listen to this passage, which, like I said, it's going to sound unbearably long, God's instructions to Moses and Moses' response and obedience and then God coming in their midst, this is their way of understanding that God is embodied in their midst. God's heart is to move toward them in an embodied way, in love, to give strength and reassurance and to be their saving grace before they experience the next 39 years of wilderness. So listen, and as you listen, I want you to listen to those particular symbolic things that describe God's presence in their own symbolic way. The Lord spoke to Moses, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the covenant. You shall screen the ark with a curtain. You shall bring in the table and arrange its setting. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. You shall put the golden altar for incense before the Ark of the Covenant and set up the screen for the entrance of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around, hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it shall become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering, all of its utensils, consecrate the altar, so that the altar shall be most holy. You shall also anoint the basin with its stand and consecrate it, and then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and you shall wash them with water." And put on Aaron the sacred vestments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put tunics on them and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout all generations to come. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was set up. Moses set up the tabernacle. He laid its bases, set up its frames, put in its poles, raised up its pillars, and he spread the tent over the tabernacle, put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the covenant and put it into the ark, put the poles on the ark, set the mercy seat above the ark, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the curtain for screening and screened the ark of the covenant as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the curtain, and set the bread in order on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the curtain and offered fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also put in place the screen for the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. And when they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set up the court around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the screen at the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. The tabernacle was finished, and all kinds of things in here are describing God's presence in their midst. The tent of meeting, that phrase was used again and again. You have the lampstands, the light of God in their midst. The table, the bread of the presence, it's described. The ark of the covenant, the mercy seat, the incense burning on the altar, the burnt offerings, the priests who are mediating, everything consecrated and set apart. It may not look like it to you, but for them, this is the body of God. Very five sensual. We actually tried so hard to have a bread maker in here so you could smell bread. <laughs> we tried so hard to have incense burning at the entrance. We're just not as good as the Catholics and Episcopalians at this. <laughs> but for them, there was incense, and there was bread, and there was food in this, and there was taste and there was sight, and there was sound, and there was every sensual, embodied, beautiful, detailed thing they could think of to symbolize the most important message in Exodus, which is God is not just the God who works wonders over there. God is not just the God who provides and protects and speaks the truth and speaks in this big old scary, scary cloud on the mountain. No, God is not remote in that foreboding and forbidding mountain. God is in your midst, right in the center of your living room, right where you live. Yahweh is with you. Setting the stage, this is their one-year anniversary from the time they got out of Egypt, nine months from Sinai all the way down. They are now at the very beginning of their wilderness wandering. And God is setting the stage for them to know the most important thing they need to know as the line keeps getting moved. You all have asked, how long till we get there? And don't you hate it when the line keeps getting moved? If anybody had told them, oh, another 39 years, nobody said that to them. But this is what God gives them telling them in advance what they needed to know. 
You see this, uh, you can't see what the writing is here in this man who's crawling across the wilderness, but it says, it's just a mile. It's just a mile, as he's crawling off to a hotel, actually, off on the far left. So they needed to know in advance, when the finish line keeps moving, God is their strength, the very present help. God is their saving grace. When I think of the line keep moving, or that keeps moving, I think of some of you that have been through the experience of looking for a job, which is a wilderness experience. And you look and look for a posting, and then you finally find a posting, and you send in online your application. You don't know if anybody's looking at it or if anybody cares. Where is that line? Where is the finish line? Finally, you get a phone call. Finally, you get an interview. At the end of that interview, you're told you need to go to another interview. The end of that interview, you're told you need to go to another interview. The line keeps moving and keeps moving. Then you're told they've changed the position. It no longer exists. You're back to ground zero. The line keeps moving. You get another possibility. You get another interview. You get another interview. You are hired. And nine months later, you are let go. The line keeps moving. It's just a mile. It's just a mile. Some of you students trying to get into a good college, which actually begins in preschool, (laughs) getting into a good school or proving that you are ahead of the rest of your students and needing to get into a good middle school that does college prep so that you can get into a good high school that does college prep so you can get into a good college. And then you have to get the perfect GPA, but it has to be better than perfect. Not just one semester or one quarter, but another The line keeps moving. No, another. And then you have to get the great SAT scores. And then the line keeps moving. Then you have to fill out the college apps, right? Then you're waiting to hear. The line keeps moving. You don't get into all the colleges that you want, but you got into several. And now you have to choose. On and on it goes. It's just a mile. It's just a mile. But it's a wilderness. Or you are a church looking for an associate pastor. (laughs) And many of you know this, but some of you don't know this. But this church began a search a year ago for an associate connections pastor, first in interim. So the first task was to put together the job description. A job description for an interim associate pastor who would have a special love and understanding for our students and for the issues facing our families. And so we did the search, but the line moved because we couldn't find anybody for the interim. So we decided to move up the search and to look for a permanent because we had a good candidate. But the line moved because the housing issue here is so horrible. How in the world could we move somebody here that doesn't make a great salary and has to live in the most expensive place in the nation? But we put together an equity share, and then the line moved because we weren't sure if they would say yes to that equity share. And then they said yes, five times yes. Yes, 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 yes. We want to be with you and move into this neighborhood. So then we had more opportunities to meet this family, and then they came last Sunday, and he preached, and the congregation voted unanimously to call him to this position, and he said yes, and we signed the papers, and we crossed the finish line. And then Wednesday afternoon, he called and said he changed his mind. 
he's going to stay in the position with camping that he's already been in for the last 18 years, realizing that that's where God's called him. Ouch. The line moved. The wilderness crossing, the unexpected, the disappointment that keeps getting prolonged. God, in many ways, has prepared us in advance for this very, very thing. Not a pastor necessarily saying, oops, I was wrong, but preparing us for the reality that God does not take us out of the wilderness. God meets us in the wilderness, giving us strength and God's saving grace. This is the movement of God's heart, moving toward us embodied right into our living room, right into this day, right into this place, right into this time, right into us, our midst. You know, in John 1, 14, it says this, the Word, capital W, that power, that reason behind all creation, became flesh. And it says, dwelt among us, but that word really means tabernacled. Tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is God's heart coming right into our midst, being our strength and our saving grace, right where we are in the center of our lives, right into this congregation at this time. You know, it's interesting. Many of you have been to a Jewish wedding and you see the tent that's over where they're standing called the chuppah. It comes from the tent of meeting. This embodied interaction, God in our midst, it's interesting because when a man, a woman, when you get married, you are basically saying to one another, I will be that presence with you through all the wilderness that is to come, that is unknown. In sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, a lot of couples like to write their own vows, but I always say you have got to put that in there, <laughs> something to that effect. Because that's what you're saying. You are embodying, you are enacting the holiness of who God is with us and for us right in our midst. But you know what? Your marriage, as many of you have discovered in your own wilderness crossings, your marriage is not your ultimate rock. Your parents are not your ultimate rock. Your pastors are not your ultimate rock. God alone, God alone is our rock and our redeemer and our saving grace. But that does not get any of us off the hook because God's heart, the movement of God, not far away, not off on that mountain, not in all these mighty works, God's movement ultimately 
is to live in us. Notice that we don't have a temple or a tabernacle anymore. Yeah, we have the sanctuary. And we have furniture, pulpit, communion table, baptismal, set apart to help us remember God in our midst. We have the sacraments to help us participate in God's saving grace in our midst. But really, what we are, we are God's invitation to be that receptive openness, a temple of God's Holy Spirit. That is where God's heart is going, to live in us. We are the temple. We were created to be God's temple, to embody God's love, God's saving grace, God's strength in this world. It's why you're going to Mexico. It's why we move out in service. It is the movement of God's heart and love in a people, embodied in a people. That is the church at its best. We are the body. The body is no longer a building. The body is a people sent out to live, to enact, to embody God's saving grace, pulling people up out of death and the ways of death in the world and setting them free in the liberating life and resurrection presence of Jesus Christ. My heart, Christ's home. That's going to be our next series. Beginning in May, God dwelling in us. As we are in our own wilderness crossings, God doesn't say, I'm going to pluck you out of the wilderness. God comes right into the middle of our wilderness in Jesus Christ our strength, our saving grace, and calling us to be that strength, that presence, that embodiment in his name. Let's pray. It's hard, oh God. It's hard to be in the wilderness. The uncertainty, the weariness, to have the lying constantly moved. Gracious God, we praise you that you are our strength, a very present help in times of trouble, that you are in the midst of the city, that you are in our midst in Jesus Christ, and you are in our midst inviting us to vow ourselves to you, to be that receptive bride. So come, Lord Jesus, into our midst, into our lives, into our hearts. May we give ourselves anew to you in faith, in obedience, to embody your saving grace in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.